soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And the Jews, the Israelites, have been at Mount Sinai. It's been a year since they came out of Egypt. God delivered them, showed his strong hand for them. And he's done the census for the tribes. So we have 600,000 men over the age of 21 who are in the army, the standing army of the 12 tribes. Joseph's tribe being subdivided, Manasseh and Ephraim. Levites, the 12th tribe. They're counted, but they're counted for the priesthood, the service to the priesthood, and helping with the tabernacle. We've covered all of that. So now they're on the move. And as we come to chapter 11, they've, they've been on the move. They've already, they've rolled out. It's been one year and a, and a month since they were delivered. They've had two Passovers, the one that they left Egypt and one in the wilderness. And now they've rolled out. And as you come to chapter 11, it's a, a longer text with quite a bit of historical text because now we're getting into the historical elements of the book of Numbers. So I'm going to survey some things and then we're going we're to connect it all and focus on it. So in Numbers chapter 11, the circumstance is this. They're, they're on the move and then there's a group called the mixed multitude. They're on the fringe of the camp and there was a mixed multitude of people that came out of Egypt with them. They weren't necessarily the Israelites, but they were a mixed multitude and they came with them. And they began to complain against the Lord. And what they complained about is they didn't like the manna, the supernatural food God was giving them. They didn't like that they wanted meat, and they just, they just complained. And so the first six verses of chapter 11, they're complaining, and God actually consumes them with fire. So they complained. They got consumed. They're on the outskirts of the camp. They were the farthest you could be from the tabernacle, the central place of worship. And they're called the mixed multitude, and they gave in to intense cravings, carnal, fleshly cravings, and they cursed the manna, which really is symbolic of Christ, because Jesus said, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, but I am the bread of life that comes down from heaven. That all happened. And then there's an explanation of what the manna was like. It's like a pastry. It's a, it's a sweet pastry. It's, a, it's good. And it's, it's a food of angels, we're told in the Psalms. It's very special. Like, there's only one time in human history that a generation ate manna, food from heaven. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? And it's told, we're told in the Psalms, it's angel food. Like, wow, that's pretty unique. And they, they cursed against it. So Moses in verses 7 through 15 just says, God, I, I can't do this. I can't handle these people complaining, 2.5 million people complaining against me. It's more than I can do. Why have you afflicted me? Why you put me in charge of this group of people if you're going to strike them down like this? And and then he says, I can't bear this alone. I, I can't do this. And, he's, and he says, please kill me if you're not going to deliver me from my own wretchedness. And we talked about this Tuesday night. It's so often when we're overwhelmed by circumstances. We just got like, we see our own wretchedness. So sometimes an overwhelming circumstance isn't bad because we see our wretchedness in the mirror. And that's the beginning of repentance and faith to make things right. But he says, you know, do not let me see my wretchedness because right now I'm so frustrated. I'm just, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And then God says in verses 16 through 22 that 
hey, look, I'm going to take, you've picked 70 men of the elders, and I'm going to put my spirit on them that I put on you, and they're going to help you. You don't have to do it alone. Remember, we had the topical study where God gave the Levites to the priest to help them. And so, like, you know, quality people that God brings into our life to help us, and God's going to, he says, I'm going I'm to give you help. I'm going I'm to put the spirit on you, on them, and you can do this. It's, it's not all on you. But as for the mixed multitude, I'm going to give them meat. I'm going to give them meat until it comes out of their nostrils, verse 20. And uh, it's going to become loathsome to you because you despise the Lord who is among you. So God says, I'm going to give you over to your carnal cravings. I'm going to give you so much meat, it's coming out of your nostrils, which is kind of pretty graphic, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. And then progressing in the middle of this, in verse 22, he said something, the text is extremely profound, which is going to be our primary text tonight. It says, and the Lord said, because Moses goes like, how in the world are you going to do that? Like, how are you going to feed 2.5 million people meat? Like, are you going to get all the fish out of the sea? Are you going to bring all, you know, can we slaughter all of our cattle that's for animal sacrifices? Like, how, how in the world could that ever happen? It's not in Moses' wheelhouse to understand how it could happen. And the Lord says to him in verse 23, and the Lord said to Moses, has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not. He just puts it out there to Moses. So then Moses went out and told the people, the spirit of the Lord came upon the 70 elders. Interestingly enough, two of them were in the camp and not outside the camp when they all got the Holy Spirit upon them. And the two were in the camp. They had the Holy Spirit come upon them and they were prophesying. So they were, they were prophesying as evidence that something supernatural is happening. And these two missed the bus, but they're back at the bus stop and they're prophesying like this. And the other 68 out here, like they're prophesying like that. And then the, the report comes to Moses and Joshua, who's young at the time, says, hey, I don't like those guys prophesying in the camp. They tell them to stop it. And Moses is like, why would I tell them to stop it? Would to God that we'd all be prophesying. Sounds familiar, right? Like there's New Testament stuff like that. Well, then after that, in verse 31, so they get the spirit. So God keeps his word. The 70 get the spirit upon them. And then in verse 31 through 35, it's the end game for the meat lovers. <laughs> they, they, got, they got their meat. And, and it said the meat was literally between their teeth when they were chewing and the wrath of the Lord came upon them. There are quite, a, it's quite a contrast in this text because you have one group of people given over under the wrath of God, spiraling downward, and they're carnal. And you have another group of a few people where God puts his spirit upon them, and they're moving upward to their call and purposes in God. Like, wow, talk about timing for us. I mean, it's always timing with the Lord, but good timing tonight. So let's come back to verse 23 with all that background and that survey. And look at this phrase. Look at every word as we read it right now. And the Lord said... To Moses. Now, Moses, Moses is his mediator. Speaking of himself in the second person, has the Lord's arm been shortened? In other words, is God no longer able? Is God not able to do something here? Is this out of God's realm of uh, omnipotent power? And then God, so it goes from a question mark to a declaration. Now you shall see. Now is a timeline. When you learn a language, there's the past, the present, and the future. As you just begin to pick up words in a language, you're going to learn the past, present, and the future. Ahora, mañana, now, tomorrow, right? Like this is, this is critical. And in all this stuff, suddenly the Lord says, now. Now you're going to see 
whether or not I can do what I say I'm going to do. So he gives it a timeline. Now you shall see with what I say whether it comes to pass. So has the Lord's arm been shortened? Now you shall see what I said will happen. As we think about this, we could really, I really look to the middle of this verse where it says, now you shall see. And I think it's safe to say we'd all like to see the Lord do something supernatural on this planet right about now on behalf of his church, the bride of Jesus Christ, people who love him and trust in him with everything they got. And we'd like to see God do something special on this church, on this planet, not just for the church, but for the lost, like an outpouring of the spirit where people would be broken and repentant and come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. We'd like to see the Lord protect, justify, and vindicate his church. We've been through a lot this year. And we'd like to see the Lord bring truth and transparency to everything. And we'd like to see the Lord save people who are his enemies that maybe would turn around and be changed. And when John and James, when Jesus was rejected in a Samaritan village, John and James said to Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven? And Jesus said, you you just don't understand what spirit you are of to even say that. That's not why I came. People are already perishing. I didn't come to torch them. They're already perishing. The Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. And it would be a few years later when John himself would go with Peter to the Samaritan villages and see the Holy Spirit fall on people who were formerly their number one enemies ethnically and see them give their lives to Christ, see the supernatural and the church birth and expanding in another region outside the wheelhouse of the early Jerusalem church, which was strictly initially Jewish ethnic descendants. And I, as we think about this and we look at this text, if we really think it through, I personally, maybe a lot of you, we, we want to see the Lord. Injustice are hard to, 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 to go through. And maybe personally, you've had injustices against you. You've been wrongly accused at work, wrongly accused by the family. You've had judges rule against you when they should have ruled for you. I know people in this church that have suffered great injustices in the court of law. But the world is filled with injustices, and the history of humanity is injustices. And there's all kinds of generations before us. I mean, if you go back to, like, 1830 in America and the blacks, the slaves, singing Negro spiritual songs, they sang songs about Moses. They sang songs about deliverance. They sang songs about the blood, and they were not delivered. They were abused. You go back to, like, the believers in Germany in the 1700s in Prussia, the Morovians. They didn't want to be part of the Lutheran state church. They, they, they wanted to worship God, not under state church, but with free conscience of mind. And they, they worshiped the Lord. They praised the Lord. They had some affluent people that joined them and gave credibility to them. But in the end, they were persecuted and they suffered many injustices. They became missionaries more than anything else because they had to flee Prussia and that part of the world because they were not part of the established state church of Lutheranism. So as we might be believers in 2020 feeling like there's been great injustices against the church, for me, just a really good example is that in Nevada, you can have an abortion, you can go to a casino, but you can't do church, right? Like, that's an injustice. I mean, that's just, that's just ludicrous. That's just so unacceptable in the eternal kingdom of God, but it is acceptable in the kingdoms of men. But remember, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. 
He said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, we'd take it by force, and we definitely could overthrow you. Remember when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden? He said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus, and he knocked them all down. He said to Peter and the apostles, could, my, could I not call down thousands of angels right now? We need perspective. In all that we're feeling in frustration with our jobs, the changes of school, the changes of society, the impact on the church and religious organizations, we just have to keep the perspective that God truly is in control. And that's the, that's the, fla- that's the flashpoint of our lives right now, tonight. He really is in control. We've all got to come to a place right now who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that God is in control. And we have to just come to a place of surrender. That's literally what we have to do. We have to come to a place of surrender. And we can't measure what's going on by how we feel what our lives have been like for 60 years, 40 years, 20 years, or 15 years. Or what the lives of people that we love and admire were before, who came before us. They're gone. We're here. We're the church. Pastor Chuck's gone. Vernon McGee's gone. Billy Graham's gone. We're here. And we're, you know, we've lost a lot of that leadership that we would respect, particularly in the Calvary movement, but for the overall body of Christ. But we're here. And for me, clearly, what God has been showing me is the only thing we can really do is to pray. Because if you go down a, a, a flow chart of options, right? When you have injustices, there's, you, know, you start going down a flow chart of options. If you had injustices with a court of law, if you had injustices with a, a neighbor, if you had injustices at work, you, you, know, you can go down a flow chart of how you can vindicate yourself and get justice, or we can go to court, we can just be a vigilante, we can be lawless, we can, you know, you can go toward lawlessness and being your own avenger. But in the end, God is in control of his universe. When you walk out tonight, you look at all these stars, and they're giant, huge planets, a lot of them suns, <laughs> 100,000 times bigger than our sun. And it's all out there doing what God's designed it to do, and knows the hairs on our head. And so when we, when we look at this night, we begin by saying, is the Lord's arm short? The answer, of course, is no. God is, well, it's like Veggie Tales. God is bigger than the boogeyman, right? Like, you know, if you go back to the 90s, you remember that with your kids. <laughs> then the monster on TV, it's one of the original Veggie Tales from like 1994, 95. It's one of the original ones. Junior Asparagus was so afraid, right? And there's always a boogeyman out there. And yes, we are seeing globalism, global power, global money, global agendas that are frightening at face value for the threat they represent to our national sovereignty. And of course, we're all very concerned about this election and wanting transparency. You know, when I was a pro athlete, I could handle losing, but I couldn't handle losing when someone's cheating. And I think we can all agree with that. And even today, as hundreds of thousands of people hit the streets in America at capitals, they interviewed a lot of veterans, and a lot of them just said, we're fine with losing. We just want to know it was a fair election. So let's get everything out in the open and know it's a fair election. But what if it isn't a fair election? 
I mean, we could have been serfs in the 1600s in Russia. We could have been slaves in America in 1810. There's, there's all kinds of things that are unfair in life. Our faith can't be based upon something being fair. Our faith has to be based upon Christ being Lord and us picking up our cross and following him. All he promised us, which is the best thing he ever promised, is we can't keep this life and we lose it to gain the life we can't lose. He promised us eternal life. He promised us a narrow gate. And he promised us a death sentence that we must die to ourselves. And no one likes to be crucified. Personally, in a sense, spiritually, when God's doing a refining work on our life or collectively. Especially when you don't understand what's going on and you feel like you're in the woods without a compass saying north. But we have to ask ourselves, is the Lord's hand, has the Lord's hand been shortened? Is God any less sovereign or any less omnipotent tonight than he was this same night a year ago? Of course not. All over the Bible we read, God is able, God is able, God is able, God is able. So when God's not moving in the realm of justice or fairness or equity as we think he should be, I'm talking about the church, the context of the church, and even humanity to some degree. It's not because he can't, which means there's a bigger lesson in a bigger picture. And if you think about how frustrated you might be with things going on right now, Pastor Chuck used to say this a lot, big God, little problem, or little God, big problem. And he used to talk on a personal level that if, if you want to defend yourself or avenge yourself or vilify yourself, you can. But isn't it better to let God do that? Like, really, what could the American citizens do right now to stop what's going on from the globalist in this country? That would be better than praying to God to reveal it, expose it, and stop it. Like, what can we really do? Like, we can get worked up, and we can get frustrated, but really, I mean, we can write our congressman or woman. We can go somewhere and let our voice be made known, which, again, hundreds of thousands of people did today in the United States. But it's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, spirit says the Lord. And what we need God to do right now, again, I'm not praying for a result on the election. I'm just praying for truth and transparency. That's really what I'm praying for. And really, Republicans and Democrats both should be crying out for truth and transparency. Because for any American citizen to not be able to trust in our elective process, we're doomed. So we really are praying for truth and transparency. Because I'm like, Lord, what do we do? Like, I feel like I don't even understand what's going on. You know, it's God's will when you pray for truth and transparency. If he chooses to reveal it, great. If he doesn't, he's got a bigger plan. And I've said things like, well, I wonder if all that's gone on in this country wrong for all these years has really actually come down on this generation. I mean, have you thought that? I've thought that. All the evils, all the injustices on Native Americans, blacks, Asians, whites, humanity, the unborn. The year I was born, they took prayer out of public school, 61. Then the year I'm in junior high, they introduced abortion and teach it in the junior high, at Valley Junior High in 1974-75.
we just watched all this happen in my timeline. If you're a baby boomer, you're close to my age, you just feel like, wow, what a time to be born when everything God has removed from all the public sector and influence of society. But the real issue isn't that the communists have been paying billions of dollars secretly to our universities for 20 years. The real issue is what has the church been doing at the same time? Have they been believing the gospel? Have they been preaching the blood? Why weren't we out in the streets defending innocent blood? I don't know. But maybe this is... Abraham Lincoln, in the Gettysburg Address, and it's there at the Lincoln Monument, if you've ever been there, one of the shortest speeches ever in U.S. government history, and one of the most profound speeches at the Gettysburg Address, where tens of thousands of Americans were killed and the the Union was preserved, because day two was the most critical day. Three days of Gettysburg. Day two is the most important day, because that's when the 20th Maine held the left flank at Little Little, Little Round Top. If they had fallen that flank... The Confederates would have won, and they would have rolled D.C. We'd have two nations. But when Lincoln came there shortly after all that, he just said, woe when judgments come, and judgments must come, but woe to whom those they come. You can Google the Gettysburg Address. It's, it's, it's an easy read. It's very short. And I've thought outside, like, wow, is Lord just, is this, is this it? Then I think, well, is this the end game? I mean, it's obviously, you know, the Bible makes very clear there's a global government that comes to power. It's all powerful. No one can resist it. And it's in the end game, the Scythians are there. That's the Russians. The Persians are there. That's Iran. And the Israelites are there. That's Israel. But there's no mention of us. You've all heard that from Chuck Missler for the last 30 years, and he's in eternity. So maybe it's the end game. Maybe this is the end game. Maybe this is the whole thing that the globalization, open borders, no accountability, redistribution of all wealth, total dependency upon a nanny state, global government, a vaccine that everyone has to take or they can't shop or buy or go to school. Maybe this is that end game. I mean, obviously, it looks like that end game, but I can't say it is. What do I know? I don't even, I don't even know what code color we're going to be in two weeks from now, Right? And what do you know? The things that reveal belong to us and to our children. The secret things belong to the Lord. But we can look at his word. And that's the end game. A global government with an antichrist that emerges from that global government with all power of the devil for lying signs and wonders. Pastor Chuck used to say he's never looking for the antichrist. He's looking for Christ. Because when Christ comes, the trumpet sounds. We're looking for Jesus coming for his bride, the church. But maybe it is the end game. The Lord's hand is not short for the end game. When the trumpet sounds, it sounds, and Jesus is coming. In a moment, in a twinkle of an eye, he's coming. And those who have died in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive will be caught up together to be with the Lord there, and thus will always be with the Lord. Is his arm shortened? My brother-in-law used to mock the idea of Christians being caught up in heaven. He used to provoke his sister, Jennifer, and mock her. Well, he's got the same hope now. You just never know who's going to get saved in a difficult time. He got saved through his mother's death, watching his mom die of cancer. Is the Lord's hand too short for the rapture to call up the church? Now, I know there's plenty of people in Christendom that don't believe that Christ is coming for his church with the rapture, but we can certainly agree he's coming a second time. And we can certainly agree he's going to rule and reign on this planet. 
So whether we go up or he comes down, either way, we're told we're going to be in glory and we're going to reign with him. Is his arm too short to call us up to the wedding feast? Is his arm too short to bring about his glorious plans for his church? Of course not. Is his arm too short to bring about the judgments he declares in the book of Revelation against the last generation of humanity who's under his wrath? Of course not. Tonight when you leave here, I want you to be at total peace with the Lord and know that his arm is not too short for this nation, for this planet, COVID-19, your personal life, and whatever we're facing. His hand is never too short. Our God is able to do above and beyond all that we could think or ask according to his riches and glory in his glorious church the church of Jesus Christ. And nothing has changed because he is the same yesterday today and forever. And all the promises are yes and amen in him. And while things might create anxiety and tempt us toward anxiety and uncertainty, we need to be like Paul the Apostle when he was, when it was prophesied to him that difficult days were ahead of him in going to Jerusalem there in Acts 20, speaking to the Ephesian elders, he said, none of these things move me. Nor do I count my life dear to me that I can finish the race that God has set before me. And we should not be moved. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.